Attack of the Final Girls is a podcast about the horror genre, so listener discretion is advised. Please check the show notes for specific content warnings for this episode. And of course, beware of spoilers. Welcome to Attack of the Final Girls. I'm Juliet. And I'm Teresa. And today we are celebrating our 20th episode. <laughs> Yay! 20 episodes! 20 movie episodes. We are celebrating, in air quotes, <laughs> our 20th episode by covering The Dead Don't Die. Why did we pick this one for our 20th episode? Um, I don't think we knew it was going to be the 20th. No, that's true. I mean, admittedly, I think we were both going into the summer wanting to challenge ourselves a little bit because we've covered a lot of movies that we either knew we liked or one of us knew we liked and we were excited to share it with the other one or movies that we had like seen before and were like eager to dive back in and we wanted a challenge you know to kind of see what we saw in them it's a lot of seas and saws there, I realize, <laughs> on a second watch. But this one, I feel like, was among several movies where we were like, let's try to tackle something that we're potentially not going to love or not going to have, like, super glowing things to say about and see, like, you know, because this is still very new for both of us, like, 20 episodes in, yeah. kind of like, how can we talk critically and thoughtfully about a film that doesn't quite do it for us yeah Um, and we kind of had that last time with possession though i feel like there were a lot of layers to peel back Mm -hmm. this one we kind of knew going in although i was willing to give it the benefit of the doubt that it might be like a midsummer thing that we probably weren't going to love this one yeah i mean we've watched so many movies where both of us like looked favorably maybe not like positively but like over average you know both of us were like okay yeah that movie like it had something to chew on we dug it so we did possession which i thought we were both gonna like and i think both of us like came out of there with our brains scrambled <laughs> yeah uh, like we have eggs for brains now <laughs> like yeah to quote uh what we do in the shadows brain scramblies yes exactly <laughs> we got exactly the, we got the human brain scramblies after that one so i don't know that you can say that you like possession yeah i don't have like a like or dislike for it i'm just more like wow i'm still like we watched that what like three weeks ago and i'm still just like that's a movie we watched yeah wow yeah that was intense there are so many people that have been like yeah oh my gosh i love that movie so much since that episode came out and i'm like "Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm (laughs) mm-hmm And not to say that their opinions are wrong. It's just like, I feel like if anybody I know wants to watch that movie for the first time and they've never seen it before, I'm going to be like, all right, prepare yourself. Yeah. Have something nice and comfy to help yourself after that movie, to help yourself process, make yourself a warm cup of tea, snuggle up with something, put on, you know, your favorite episode of The Office afterwards, because... You're going to be wrecked. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like your brain's going to be wrecked. So this one was a little bit different in that both of us saw The Dead Don't Die in 2019 when it came out. But both of us also exited the theater like, wow, we really didn't like that. Yeah, that was an it was an interesting one. So when this came out in 2019, it had a lot of buzz. Jim Jarmusch's first proper horror film, you know, he did Only Lovers Left Alive, which certainly has horror elements i mean i would argue it's still a horror film Mm -hmm. but it was more sort of a relationship piece right 
And it was sort of his first true comedy as well. Mm -hmm. So Jim Jarmusch is doing a horror comedy and it's got a stacked cast. Right. That's kind of what everybody knew going in based on the trailer. It was just like, okay, like stacked cast. You've got Bill Murray, Adam Driver, Tilda Swinton. And that's just like the three main leads. Mm -hmm. Tons of amazing folks uh, in large and small roles. So it seemed like this was set up for either like blockbuster revelatory success or at the very least like it was going to be a really really fun interesting ride yeah and it managed to not be any of those things somehow so it's one of those things where like sometimes you think with a cast this good how could it be bad right like how could it lose its way but after having watched this movie a second time it does not have the midsummer seal of second watch seal of approval for me. Yeah. This is absolutely not a movie that I enjoyed. Not even like in little bits. Yeah. There are a couple of scenes, a couple of shots where I'm like, okay, this works. And then the rest of the movie, I'm just like, man, this really like having watched so much shot on video horror mm-hmm. and also watched a lot of horror comedy, which Juliet, not a huge fan of some horror comedy. Yeah, yeah, not the hugest horror comedy fan. Yeah. I, on the other hand, I love horror comedy. That's where we differ. Mm-hmm. But for n- neither of us, this movie is like checking any boxes. Yeah, well, and I love zombie movies too. Oh, yeah. Like, I love zombie movies. So I was kind of like, I was trying to really go into this with an open mind because I disliked it so much the first time. And I was like, okay, like, today's been kind of weird for both of us (laughs) um, for a variety of reasons. But I was like, I am, like, ready to, like, dive into this movie. It's a zombie movie. It's a comedy. I could use a good laugh. I'm ready to be entertained. Like, let's do this. Like, I was kind of, like, in the best possible headspace, like, it's questionable, given that this came out in 2019, what kind of headspace I was in. When when did this come out in the summer? June 14th. Oh, see, yeah. So we were in between two massive things. Yeah, two massive, horrible things. So, like, yeah. I was fully willing to give myself the benefit of the doubt that, like, uh, okay, so it, it didn't work for me in the theater then, but that was probably a product of it being 2019. I am, like, my 2022 self is ready. You're hardened. I'm hardened. Your shell is I've hardened. Got a shell. <laughs> Let's do this. And it just yeah. didn't deliver. So just tiny premise of this movie. Yeah. The town of Centerville gets attacked by zombies. That's it. And okay, then Austin Seuss. Yeah. So the cast, like Juliet mentioned, Bill Murray, Adam Driver, Tilda Swinton, huge. Mm-hmm. Tom Waits, Chloe Sevigny, Steve Buscemi, Danny Glover, Riza from <laughs> Wu Tang. Rosie Perez, Carol Kane, Iggy Pop, Selena Gomez, Austin Butler. And that's just, you know, like the high level names in this. So lots of cannon fodder for a movie that could be good. Yeah. But it flunks. This is not, it's not a funny movie. No. It's not a funny zombie movie. It's not a good zombie movie. It's not a good horror film. It made me feel dumber for having watched it. And I say that about so few movies because I think that for the most part, I can take something new or something away from all movies like, oh, well, they did this very well. They did this thing that was new. I've never seen that before. This is Mm -hmm. a new element to this story. This could be something that could be improved upon. Maybe this will like sow a seed in somebody's brain. 
this did not do that for me at all. Yeah, I completely agree. And I can kind of pinpoint on the second watch a couple of the places where it really fell short for me Mm -hmm. or why I think I I just couldn't latch on to anything. I'll get to the comedy part in a minute because I have some like specific thoughts about that. Mm -hmm. But first and foremost, I feel like this film is like the cautionary tale of ensemble casting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like there are so many movies that do a great job with ensemble casts. One specific recent example are the newer Agatha Christie movies, the the Perot mysteries Mm -hmm. that always have these huge stacked giant casts and everyone is used beautifully, whether their role is large or small you know, you recognize them and they shine and they play a character and they're either they move on or they're killed, given that it's an Agatha Christie story. Right. But you have that moment of recognition and you kind of move on and every character has enough to do, Mm -hmm. um, but not too much to do. Mm -hmm. And I feel like every character in this movie was very wandery. Mm hmm. And you never, like, latched on to anybody. You never got attached to anybody. Nobody ever had enough to do to make you go, like, oh, I really like that person. I'm really invested in them. Mm -hmm. Like, there were so many people. I just felt, like, invested in literally no one. And the characters I had a shred of investment in, you lost them, like, halfway through the movie, which were the um, the kids right. in the juvenile detention center. Yeah. They just disappear like halfway through the movie. Yeah. We don't hear anything else about them. Imagine that you're watching a movie about something that should not be boring that just so happens to occur on the most boring day of each character's life. Yeah. And then you are trapped to experience that most boring day surrounded by something that should be cool. Mm-hmm. But it's still the most boring day of their life. And that's why you can't latch on to these characters. What redeemable qualities do any of them exhibit? Yeah, none of them. Yeah, with the exception of maybe Danny Glover, but it's only because I like Danny Glover and I feel protective of him because he's an old man in this. (laughs) And I'm just like, don't hurt the old man. Yeah. He's just, all he wants to do is be a hardware store owner. Yeah. And because Steve Buscemi's character is racist towards him. Yeah. In any case, you know, examples of ensemble casting where it does a really good job. Like you said, the new Agatha Christie stuff, sometimes directors can scoot by even if they're not maybe the most competent director by having Mm -hmm. like a really amazing cast. Yeah. And this is a flip-flop of that. It's like this movie couldn't even be saved by its amazing cast. It's baffling to me. I still don't understand how you could possibly get a movie so dull and unfunny out of this. Yeah. And I was really, really trying, like, while we were watching, I was trying to read reviews of people who like this. I am a person who will bend over backwards to give somebody the benefit of the doubt. Totally. And I did that with Midsummer, and it it was successful. I was like, dang, you know, I did miss a lot mm-hmm. in the first watch. Through. Yeah, same. So I was like, I want to hear what other people who really love this movie think about it. And I just kept reading, it's genius, it's genius, it's genius. When you hear that about a movie a thousand times that you absolutely cannot engage with, it seems like the subtext there is like, oh, you're stupid. Yeah. Like, this is a genius movie. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I said that when we were watching it. It reminds me of, like, film school boys, you know? Like, yeah. when I was in film school. And it also reminds me of, like, 
I'm not going to name the band, but there's a certain band that like has a primarily male fan base that I know a lot of people that like them. And a lot of the fans of this band are totally fine. But there's a subset of fans of this band that like are very, um, not only are they very like unfriendly to women in general, because it's like you're invading their little, you know, boys only treehouse hideout. (laughs) But if you're like, hey, like, this band is good, but I don't find the same kind of depth in their lyrics. Like, they're just a fun rock band. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, well, you don't understand. You couldn't possibly understand. <laughs> and I'm like, I mean, maybe, but also maybe I don't, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. do I want to understand? Exactly. <laughs> like, what would I lose if I reformed my brain yeah <laughs> into like, understanding good not this. knowing so to go back kind of to what i was saying before about this being the most boring day of these characters lives the interactions that we see between the characters from the very beginning of this movie on through to the very last minute of this movie are simply not interesting enough to warrant them being filmed right they're just not they're not funny. They're not interesting. From the very beginning, where we have Bill Murray and Adam Driver sitting in their cop car having this whole conversation, there's nothing to latch onto. It's just, it's so mm-hmm. milk toast from the, like the very beginning. They just end up being annoying. They repeat themselves, and that's supposed to be funny, but they repeat themselves like to the point of pain. Mm-hmm. It's just. It's the most boring day of their lives, and it's the least... It it would be like a movie where you film somebody at the grocery store checking people out all day, and you did a super cut of that for two hours. Mm -hmm. And that's it. That's the whole movie, is just somebody checking people out of the cash register. That's what I feel like this movie makes me feel. And there, I mean, granted, there's a lot more action in this movie, but I do not feel differently after having watched this movie than I would have if I had sat and watched somebody check people out at the counter for two hours. Yeah, (laughs) I agree with you on that. I wonder, and this is just kind of off the top of my head, you know, we were saying kind of throughout while we were watching it that Certain aspects of this movie remind us of shot on video movies, like Mm -hmm. not even in a good way, like some of the less desirable qualities of shot on video movies. Although it was never stated, do you think that this was supposed to be a satire of those movies? Of shot on video film? Yeah. If it was supposed to be a satire, I think it was like largely unsuccessful because Mm -hmm. the thing with, at least for me, the thing that makes satire funny is like a Mel Brooks level satire. Yeah. Where it's like so ham handed, so heavy handed that it's absurd. Yeah. It, it gets to the point where you're like, well, okay. And also Mel Brooks has physical comedy, which I think is mm-hmm. really funny. Mm-hmm. I, I know that not everybody likes it, but I think that physical comedy is funny. And not to say that Mel Brooks doesn't have his own um, set of problems, but he does satire to the absurd. And that's what I find funny. This is like not even... If it was intended to be a satire, and if it was intended to be shot on video-esque, the filmmaking quality is not bad enough right? to convincingly make a satire of that. I think that it would just be like the Blair Witch without the suspense, even if they mm. had done mm. that. Even if mm. they had been like, okay, let's shoot this on actual you know, DVR or whatever. 
Is that what it's called? DVR? The tape? Disc? Mini DV. Mini DV. Okay. DVR is when you record something on the TV. <laughs> um, but even if they had done that, it would just feel like the Blair Witch Project, but like somebody made it in their backyard. Yeah. And they didn't have an, like a script. Like, I wonder if there's a script supervisor or maybe somebody who like doctored, like wrote this, or read I, the script or I something. I would be curious to know how much of it was improv But even that, like, it doesn't have the energy of other things I've seen where you have, like, a script framework and then the actors are given the freedom to improv. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, even some of the TV shows that I like, the actors are sort of given the framework of the episode and they know their characters well enough that they get to sort of improvise the lines or the humor or whatever. What we do in the shadows. uh, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I just saw a thing where most of Laszlo's lines are actually improv, which is great. (laughs) Yeah, this didn't feel like it felt too contrived mm-hmm. to be that, especially with the repetition of the lines yes. over and over again. And yet it was so low on character development. It's like you almost wonder, did they just say, well, here's the scenario and here's sort of who you are. Go ahead. Yeah, but make them as boring as like, a <laughs> like, oh, man. Like, all of the characters are just two-dimensional cutouts of mm-hmm. people. Not a single one of them is fleshed out in the third dimension. Especially not the main characters. Yeah. Like what you said before, the most interesting characters, being the juvie kids, they disappear. And it's like, okay, well, now we've lost the only impetus for us to keep watching this movie. So now what do we do? And... I'm just going to echo what you said while we were watching the movie. There are too many characters in this film that get too much screen time. Yeah. All those people I just listed off in the cast, like, those are all supposed to be basically co-leads. Right. I mean, really, Bill Murray and Adam Driver are, like, the two, they get the most screen time in the movie, but certainly not main character status. Like, they don't have main character syndrome in their own movie about the two of them. Right, right. And the rest, like, there's so many characters packed into this movie that you're supposed to give a crap about, but we don't ever get enough time with any one of them to actually give a shit. Mm -hmm. Like, we don't know anything about Bill Murray. We don't know anything about Adam Driver, except that apparently people think he's cute in the movie. We don't know anything about Chloe Sevigny. I guess the most character development that we get is... What's the proprietor of the gas station? B something. Oh, oh, Billy. Bill is it Billy. It's like a gas station. The name of the gas station is like Billy's Philip or something like that. So yeah, Billy. He's probably the person that we get the most. Bobby. It's Bobby. Bobby. Bobby Wiggins. He gets the most character development because he's surrounded by a bunch of stuff that he knows a lot about. Mm-hmm. That's it. And he gets the most character development in terms of. Other people reacting to him and he responding to other people's impressions of him. Right. But that's it. Yeah. And it goes nowhere. Yeah. He also gets killed off. It was cool. The couple Goulardi references. Mm-hmm. That yeah, we, those were fun. That we had dropped in there because Jim Jarmusch is from Akron, which is not too far away from where we are. And Goulardi, of course, is like a huge horror host in the Cleveland area. So mm-hmm. very cool that that happened. But also, a lot of this movie is Easter eggs. Yeah. A lot of it is supposed to be like an homage. It's supposed to be Easter eggs. 
but you cannot build a solid movie off of Easter eggs alone. Exactly. It's so true. An Easter egg is supposed to be something that while you're getting roped into the plot, you're lucky if you catch because the plot is so good that, you know, it's somewhere off to the side and you have to like sort of pause in your moment with the plot and spot it. Yeah. This just felt like connect the dots to the point that it was so Easter eggy that even the scenes, I was like, I've seen this scene before and I don't know where, but I've seen this scene before and that's not great. No. And I think that an Easter egg for me makes me feel warm tinglys, yeah. you know, where you're like, oh, I love that they put that in this movie. Even if it's a movie that overall I don't really like, I still am like, oh, the Eagle Eye fans can mm-hmm. spot this. And it makes you feel good because you make that connection. And in this, it's like, oh, yep, did that thing. Cool. It sucks that that's in this movie. <laughs> yeah. And they were almost, in my opinion, too heavy-handed with the Romero references because, mm-hmm. like, certainly it is kind of... I don't say it's required because certainly there are zombie movies that don't do this, but, you know, almost every zombie movie just inherently references Romero. Sure. And typically, most every zombie movie, you know, will put a nod to Romero somewhere in the movie. And it's usually fairly subtle like subtle enough that you have to know his movies decently well like there's usually a character you know that mimics one of his characters like the cemetery zombie or you know a reference to bub or you know one of the specific zombies from dawn of the dead or something like that or the bikers Mm -hmm. this was just so much like heavy-handed romero references that it was kind of like oh come on guys like we know it's a zombie movie yeah We, we get it yeah like, it looks the same. It's supposed to be set in Pennsylvania. We have the Pontiac Le Mans, which is the the car from Night of the Living Dead that Barbara and her brother are in. Just et cetera, et cetera. Like, you don't have to look very far to hear or see something that yeah. is supposed to be an homage to that. But it's like, you can't just reappropriate whole last scenes from another movie and put them into yours and be like, see, it's because I love it. Yeah. It's like, you're redoing it. But it's not funny. <laughs> yeah. I mean, going back to the shot on video thing, like that's like what you do when you're a teenager and you're making your first backyard movies with your friends yeah. is you like recreate scenes from movies you like mm-hmm. because that's what made you want to make stuff. But like you don't do that on a, ma- <laughs> a major budget, yeah. you know, opening night of con yeah. film. You learn how to make those scenes yeah. by emulating what you like. But that's how you cut your teeth. That's not yeah. how you make a whole big budget movie. And I'm far more forgiving of those. Like, again, like yeah. I, I watch a lot of shot on video in general. Mm-hmm. Um, just by virtue of my life, I watch a lot of shot on video <laughs> movies. And I always, well, my partner always says, like, they're sort of like the regular film ranking scale. And there's the shot on video ranking sure. scale. Like when he rates movies for his blog, he's always like, yeah, shot on video, you rank them a little differently. Sure. Because these are often people's first films. And what you're looking at is like the heart and the potential there, not necessarily like the same thing you would look at, you know, with a huge budget movie or a movie yeah. with an established director. Right. And this, I'm just like, hey, Jim Darmish, you don't get to be ranked on the shot on video scale. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. Like, you've been making movies a long time. Yeah, you're way past that. Yeah. 
I totally feel that. And I also watch shot on video movies. Juliet and I participate in a lot of the same marathons. Marathon in air quotes as in we just watch movies all day. Yeah. Um, we watch a lot of movies. But we also watch a lot of really bad horror movies. Like It's true. Yeah. Because we just watch all comers. We're just mm-hmm. like, okay, throw that movie at us. Let's put it on. And I'll be hard on a movie, you know, sure, if yeah. I'm if I'm like, wow, that movie was that was real bad. Don't know where it was going. I didn't have any idea what was happening in the plot. The effects were bad. The you know, the camera situations were really bad. The acting was terrible. Whatever. But this is something totally different. This mm-hmm. is like a big. This is a wide release. This is something that got like actual production. Should have had actual production value. You know, if you can afford to put. 10 12 giant named actors like academy award nominated emmy award nominated actors into a movie then you should be able to scramble up something that's like even if it's not good at least fun right yeah i didn't have any fun watching this (laughs) yeah exactly yeah i think if it had been less than great in terms of like overall story and structure but had been like Oh my gosh, the zombie stuff is so fun yeah. and it's super silly. Yeah. I would have loved it. Yep. You know. And it had all of the ingredients to get there. Like mm-hmm. it had the ingredients like, okay, this could be super silly. Because we have Tilda Swinton as an alien samurai sword wielding Scottish person. Absolutely. Could have been super silly. Yeah. We've got a bunch of teenagers driving from Ohio in a Pontiac Le Mans and stopping at this goofy looking motel okay cool could be cool we've got three bumbling cops we've got zombies wandering through the town we have carol kane as a zombie who i love i love carol kane she was in scrooged with bill murray she played the ghost of christmas present yes because she's with um his assistant and there's just so many elements here where it could have been funny and There's also something to be said about, like, an expectation and reality. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the humor is that you expect one thing and you get something else. Right. And I'm aware of that subtlety, but I don't even think that works here. We're, Mm -hmm. like, we were expecting something fun. We were expecting something cool. And it didn't hit that mark. But it's not funny that it didn't hit that mark. Right. Right. Yeah. Honestly, it's got to be the least interesting movie about zombies that has ever been filmed. Uh, yeah, I kind of agree with you on that. And I and I love a zombie movie, but... Oof. And we've watched so many of them. I've yeah. seen so many zombie movies. And mm-hmm. even the worst of them are m- at least more interesting. Yeah. Like, this, to me, did not add anything to zombie lore. It did not do anything different than any zombie movie that's come before it. It did not go anywhere with the zombie. Like, it didn't set the Mm -hmm. stage for something new. So my question is, what is the point? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What what are we, What? why did we start this journey where it didn't go anywhere? It ended and we have not moved any further. And I don't even necessarily think that you have to get that in every movie. But, like, even something a tiny bit different... Like, it would be one thing if we started the movie and ended the movie with, like, a different impetus in a zombie movie where somebody took a shred of that and was like, you know what, this could make something really cool later on. Or Mm -hmm. I have an idea for something to expand on that. But we don't even get that. 
It's not different at all. Yeah, and the other thing we don't really get, and they try it, there are two different points in the movies where they attempt this and it just, again, goes nowhere, is any kind of social commentary, which zombie movies are so good at. I mean, horror films are great at that in general, but I have said on this podcast before, like, I love the zombie subgenre very specifically because of the way it allows us to comment on ourselves and our habits and the world. And we get like two little shreds of that. One is that toward the beginning of the film, we see characters who are sort of assumed to be of a lower economic status. They're typically characters of color who are not in positions of power for a variety of identifying factors. And they're always the smartest people in the room. Mm -hmm. You know, you have Lily, who is a Latina cleaning person at the restaurant, and she's asking one of the waitresses, they're just talking, and Tilda Swinton's character's name, Zelda, comes up. And Lily's like, oh, yeah, like Zelda Fitzgerald. And of course, the white waitress has no clue who she's talking about. And she, you know, has this little monologue about like, oh, yeah, the Great Gatsby and F. Scott Fitzgerald and all this Mm -hmm. stuff. Clearly, she is the smartest person in the room. (laughs) And, you know, she is in the position of she's the person who cleans the restaurant after hours. And the funeral home. And the funeral (laughs) home. Yes. Yeah. You have Danny Glover's character who is kind of dismissed uh, because he's older. Um, He's a hardware store owner. He's, I would argue, the most compassionate character in the whole movie um, and the most likable character. You have the kids in juvenile detention, um, three kids of color who are incredibly smart and incredibly interesting and seem to be the smartest people in the town. But none of that goes anywhere is the problem, is we, we never get to see these characters really exhibit anything toward their full potential. So that's a bummer. Yeah. And then the other thing is that at the end, it felt really tactile. And they try to do this thing where they like made a commentary on capitalism and like, okay, I'm down for a good anti-capitalist rant. Like sure. I'm, I'm here for it, but it didn't feel like it tied into the rest of the movie, which is again, why I wonder if some of it, if not all of it was ad-libbed is it felt like they just kind of let Tom Waits just kind of talk. And he just started rambling about like habits and capitalism and things like that. And they were just like, yeah, it's a zombie movie. Let's lay that over the end battle and make it say something. Yeah. And not a single time in the movie are we ever getting any sort of like capitalist problems in this entire town. It's a small town. Very, very, very small. We see minimal interaction from the cops in the daily lives of the people who live there. We don't see anybody who's poor. Um, the only person who's even mentioned as being maybe poor because she's being buried in the potter's field is Carol Kane's character. But being buried in a potter's field doesn't mean that you're poor. It just means that nobody's going to pay for your, you know, your burial. So exactly. it doesn't necessarily mean she's poor, but like we never get even a single inkling of capitalist problems. Nobody's hungry. Nobody's broke. No throughout the entire movie and not to say that those are specifically the only problems having to do with capitalism but like there is not a single shred no to lead us back to like capitalism's bad yeah the entire time there's like a brief mention of fracking 
But even that is kind of so vague and doesn't feel attached to the town. It feels very separate. I remember when we first saw this, I latched onto the fracking thing because that's been a story around here for a while. And I was like, oh, okay. So they're talking about fracking being one of the things that could have potentially knocked the earth, changed the axis, which is maybe what caused the zombies, but also maybe not because there are like three explanations for the zombies in this movie. And I was like, oh, great. Okay. The reason this is happening in this town is surely because this small town in the Midwest has had fracking nearby. And that's going to factor into because fracking can harm your water supply and it can cause problems with land stability. I'm like, great. That's super interesting. Like what you said, like, cool. Fracking is a really great way to add something new to the zombie genre. Yeah. Great. Let's do a zombie story about fracking. And nope. Nope. It had no bearing on that specific place and those specific people other than a mention on the TV. Yeah. And the TV stuff too was like so detached and felt so like anytime when there was something playing on the TV or on the radio It was a perfect example of something that we actually talked about in the last episode of a movie should show rather than tell. And sometimes it's not possible to show things. So we use that trope of the radio or the television to kind of like clue the viewers in Mm -hmm. on what's happening. We already knew what was happening. And they do that over and over and over again. It's like we don't need to watch. People complain about breaking news being the same thing over and over and over again Mm -hmm. all the time when they're like oh well they have nothing new to say it's like yeah that's basically exactly what happens in this movie it's like there's nothing new to say um i did want to ask you juliet did you know that (laughs) that sturgill simpson did Mm. the soundtrack for this movie did you know that he wrote the song for this movie called the dead don't die this is a revelation to me, even though they said it like a dozen times in this movie. I'm learning something new in this moment. I think that that should be a drinking game for this movie. And perhaps we would actually like it yeah. at the end if yeah. we were like just completely blitzed at the end of this. Because honestly, if you played a drinking game where they mentioned Sturgill Simpson and you took a drink every time, you would be you would have alcohol poisoning at the end. Yeah. Because... They say it constantly, and it absolutely ceases to be even slightly funny or, yeah. like, even, like, annoyingly, like, oh, ha, 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 another Sturgill Simpson joke. It stops, like, the third or fourth time, and I wasn't counting, but there has to be, like, 12 or 15 times when they bring up Sturgill Simpson. I know. I wish I would have thought to have kept count. Was this a Sturgill Simpson extended length music video and we're we're just not in on the joke (laughs) it's possible i mean jim jarmusch makes a lot of music videos so who knows this is an hour and a half long sturgill simpson music video it's taking the old like mtv and vh1 like the old music videos that were like mini films you know like i'm not talking like beyonce's lemonade i'm talking like way back in the day when um you know you would have these like wrap arounds sometimes where it would be like three or four minutes of plot and then the song would kick in and then sometimes the song would stop in the middle and you'd have more plot and then the song would resume like with the bridge yeah maybe it's that but like for two hours (laughs) 
You mean like uh, I would do anything for love? <laughs> By meatloaf. Oh, uh, man. I was just Googling it very quickly. To see how many times they mention see- it? Yeah. Uh, no, they don't mention. Yeah. How it's is just that a- not a fact on the internet? Right? It's it- rude. <laughs> oh, man. There- <laughs> There's an NPR article I just I just read the headline for. The dead don't die in Jarmusch's latest, but your patients will. <laughs> Thank you. God bless you, NPR. <laughs> a wild animal. Pause. S- several wild animals. They repeat this bit in the same way the film handles its many other running gags. Beaten until undead. Well, I mean, so, like, that's the thing is there is a way to even, like, be referential like that and like repeat lines and have callbacks but you don't beat it into the ground like that yeah that's uh mel brooks is very famous for doing that where asking the same question people coming in and asking the same question somehow he makes it really funny though this is just it really does beat the dead don't die the dead jokes don't die yeah that should be the name of the movie yeah exactly (laughs) because they just keep coming back yeah it's funny because actually another really good example of that beyond mel brooks is the x-files episode i was telling you about when we were watching this so i don't know what it is about this movie i think it's a combination of like the setup and the setting that makes me think about my favorite x-files episode which is bad blood which is one that often appears on a lot of people's top five episode lists. Like, it's kind of a famous one. Trailer Park Vampires is all I have to say. If you know the (laughs) show at all, it's the Trailer Park Vampire episode. And what I love about that episode is that the comedy is so tight. It's got twists and turns. It's told from two different perspectives. But the comedy is so tight in the way that it refers back to each other you have different parts of the story emerging in different tellings and they're calling back and it's absurd but it still works and it's funny and it's just and it's not boring i mean it's an hour television episode so it's got that going for it Mm -hmm. but i feel like that is the style that i wanted this to be and it wasn't at all it was quite the opposite yeah let's talk about how This is yet another movie where it has the trope of bumbling cops. Yeah, I'm kind of over that. (sighs) Yeah. I mean, that's been going on for a really long time. Like, even prior to that being a trope in horror movies, it was Mm -hmm. just a trope in general. TV shows, like really famous comedic TV shows like Starsky and Hutch and all that. Not Starsky and Hutch. Uh, Dukes of Hazard. That's what I'm thinking of. I'm always confusing pair movies or pair <laughs> TV shows. But then you get um, Last House on the Left. Mm-hmm. You've got the bumbling cops in that. And it's a really tired trope. <laughs> cops that are just like completely ineffective and living in 2022 United States. It's like even less funny. Yeah. To have like incompetent people protecting you or not protecting you and just being like well i don't know what to do and this is like so dry Mm -hmm. and it doesn't even seem like they're incompetent just seems like they're i mean they are incompetent by way of their just inability to do anything or decide on anything and just making nonsensical decisions i just don't get it yeah and i know this was my thought in 2019 and 
you know, not to say that my opinions have changed that much about, you know, it's funny because I, I just talked about the X-Files and there's sort of this debate going on Twitter right now. Like, does that fall under like the whole like copaganda genre of TV and movies, hmm. which is kind of an interesting question. But Mulder is like. Right. Specifically like against the FBI. Yeah. Like he doesn't want to be a part of the yeah. FBI. Okay. Scully's too. Yeah. I could, I could <laughs> do a whole thing on that. But, um, you know, I think. There was a time in entertainment where the sort of bumbling cop trope was, air quotes, endearing. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, there's no way for it to be endearing now. Yeah. And even if it was, like, even if I were to divorce myself from the fact that, like, they're cops, Mm -hmm. Adam Driver and Bill Murray are pretty damn endearing on stage or on screen, you know, like, in general. Mm -hmm. They were not in this movie. No, I do love Bill Murray, not as a person, not, uh, yeah. but more as, like, an actor. I, I've seen so many movies. Like, let's say Wes Anderson movies. Yeah. Bill Murray's in a ton of Wes Anderson movies, and he's got a very flat affect. He's very blunt, very straight. His acting is not, I'm not going to say not nuanced, but it's um, it's very, Wes Anderson's movies have a tendency to be dry. Yeah. And I really enjoy that. I like that mm-hmm. aspect of them a lot. And I think that he really nails it there. But yeah. in this, I feel like it's just like total incompetence. And something I actually wrote down, it seems like this entire movie, all of his acting is simply a table read. Mm-hmm. Like all of the acting is so frigid. It's like they were like, OK, we're going to do everything in one take. Yeah. That we're not going to do any more takes. And so you're not allowed to read the script beforehand. Everybody just get in costume and we'll teleprompt you the, the, mm-hmm. the script and you got to do it in one take and that's it. You don't yeah. get any more. Yeah. That's what it feels like. It's true because, you know, my two favorite Wes Anderson movies, Royal Tenenbaums and Life Aquatic, are very Bill Murray heavy. Yeah. And it's like both of those characters, like both um, Raleigh Sinclair and Steve Zissou, tend to be, Raleigh more so, very dry. Yeah. But there's like a warmth and a humanity to them still. Mm-hmm. Zissou in particular. And, and I just, I would be curious to know like how is... Like, what is Wes Anderson doing with his actors to draw that performance out as opposed to what Jim Jarmusch is or isn't doing to prevent that warmth from coming out in the character? Yeah. It's like the way that the dialogue works in a Wes Anderson movie that keeps you into it is it's snappy and you don't have human pauses for the most part. I mean, in some of the more tense emotional scenes, you do get those like nice emotional pauses, specifically thinking about Royal Tenenbaums. Mm -hmm. But otherwise his, his cuts and his editing and that dialogue is like very snappy, Um, unrealistic snappy, but it keeps you engaged. And in this, it's like, you're going to go talk to your Southern neighbor who is gonna talk like this but he's just gonna repeat you (laughs) everything that you say i I don't know yeah and and yet even with your southern neighbor that like you know draws everything out there's typically something engaging there (laughs) yeah it's just was the the characters were not engaging like and same with adam driver's characters like People already kind of jump all over him for different delivery and things like that. And again, it largely depends on the script. But like, 
you know, he can he can act like yeah. especially kind of, you know, setting Star Wars aside because it's its own thing and the the whole Star Wars thing is so complicated. Yeah. I say with love because mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I love Star Wars, but um, you know, he has proven in like recent roles like he can really do a lot like he's got a huge range Mm -hmm. and that was one of the things i was most excited about was to see him up against bill murray i could envision like okay so murray's gonna probably play the enduring straight man with a heart right and adam driver is going to be like the young more passionate one and they were both just like flat yeah very very flat they were basically the bologna sandwich of acting. Yeah. And neither of them have to be that way. Exactly. They're both delicious pastrami sandwiches. <laughs> I'm not, I don't know why I'm thinking in, sa- in terms of sandwiches, but like their bologna sandwich on white bread, no mayonnaise, yeah. no mustard. They're just, they're Wonder Bread with bologna. And they don't have to be. Yeah. They could be a real delicious club. I'm not even even hungry. I don't even know why I'm thinking sandwiches right now. But yeah, no, Adam Driver is like extremely talented. Yeah. And funny that you mentioned the Star Wars thing. I don't understand the Star Wars joke in it. Like the fact that they were like, oh, look, he's got a a Star Destroyer on his keychain and his tiny smart car makes the Star Destroyer noise. Like, Yeah, I don't want to make assumptions here, but... Yeah, I I don't want to make an assumption about Jim Jarmusch's opinion of Star Wars, but (laughs) I will make an assumption about a lot of fans of his movies and their opinions about Star Wars. And I at least felt like it was definitely a dig at like, there's that Star Wars trash over there, but we're making film over here. Just yeah. to be clear. And Tilda Swinton, her character says like, oh, it's great sci-fi or, or it's great fiction. Great fiction. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, was that? This is a zombie movie, guys. Yeah, right? Like, okay, we all know, we're all in on it that yeah. Adam Driver was Kylo Ren. Like, we get it. Yeah. You don't have to like the keychain, the sound, the mm-hmm. like quote, like is lame. But a couple of other things. So. The point of a story is to have a conflict and then a resolution. Like, yeah. those are, those are yeah. the two clutch things that you need to have yep. in it. So, why were the teens there? The, or not the teens, but the people in the, the Pontiac. Why mm-hmm. were they there? Mm-hmm. It, yeah, exactly. Jim Jarmusch, I yeah. would like to know. Yeah. Why was Tilda Swinton there? Yep. Because... Yeah, she's cool. She slices some zombie heads off with a samurai sword, which we're all here for. Mm-hmm. Love it. That was really what drew me in from the trailer of the movie was I was really excited about that. And Adam Driver cutting one uh, Selena Gomez's head off. I was like, oh, that's kind of hilarious. But why are the kids there? Why are the kids in the Pontiac there? Mm-hmm. Why is Tilda Swinton there? I literally am left asking, why are they there? What conflict did they bring to the story what element of conflict did they Mm -hmm. bring to the story what was the resolution what is their purpose there yeah aside from being the kids being at the motel so that we get the cat guy dying Mm -hmm. and tilda swinton going off in an alien ufo which that goes nowhere too right 
like we know Tilda Swinton is probably an alien in real life, but yeah. And that as a whole, like the breaking the fourth wall thing too, could be funny. Could it, be. It can yeah. be funny in yeah. certain instances. Wayne's World. Perfect oh example. Yes, absolutely. Every yeah. time Mike Myers w- breaks the fourth wall or um, Garth. Dana Carvey. Dana Carvey. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, I couldn't think of his name for a second. Anytime they break the fourth wall, hilarious. Oh, Some yeah. of my favorite moments in cinema are the two of them looking into the camera and being like, Schwing? Yes. Or like when, um, oh, I can't remember the actor's name, the donut shop guy. Oh, yeah. When he like waves the camera over and starts that rant. Yes. Like, it's beautiful. It's amazing. Yeah. A uh, guy from Married with Children. Yes. Yeah. And Modern Family. Yeah. Yeah. Hysterical. Those are specific instances when breaking the fourth wall is just absolutely wonderful. It draws you in and makes you feel like you're a part of the movie. And it makes you endeared to Wayne and Garth. Yeah. Because you're like, yes, I love these characters. They're hilarious. This absolutely falls flat for me mm-hmm. the whole sturgill simpson joke once again at the beginning of the movie where he's like oh yeah it's the theme song like why does this sound so familiar oh it's because it's the theme song like oh funny yeah. so uh. cool and then at the end when he's like how do you know how do you know it's not going to end well for us and adam driver's like well because i read the script and then bill murray's like jim jarmusch didn't give me the whole script you didn't understand all the stuff i did for him it's not funny. No, <laughs> like, it's not. It does not make me feel like it's funny. It doesn't make me feel endeared towards these characters. It doesn't make me feel like I'm in on some joke, you know? Once again, it's just like a table read. And like, oh, Tilda Swinton, that wasn't in the script. She's just weird. And, and we always knew there was something off. Like, okay. Yeah, sure. Cool. Yeah, exactly. So Tilda Swinton is an alien. And as she's going to the site where she's going to be beamed off the planet, she mentions to one of the zombies that her tartan isn't right. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, are they trying to say the Scottish people are aliens? Because how would the alien have the specific knowledge of like whose tartan is whose? Maybe she was guessing. I don't know. But it just like... It's just another joke where I was just like, why? Why are we doing this? Well, part of what bothers me about that, too, is that on the one hand, I am inclined to say they could have cut Tilda Swinton and Selena Gomez's characters out of the movie entirely and we wouldn't have lost anything. Mm -hmm. But then that, like, really bums me out when you realize two of your women leads are completely disposable and have characters that aren't connected to the action of the film basically at all. Mm -hmm. They're kind of just there to be these like, you know, Selena Gomez is kind of there to look good and be charming and then get killed. And Tilda Swinton is there to be weird. And then you've got Mindy. Chloe Seminy. Yeah. Yeah. Who is... There to be the hysterical woman, you know, she's the kind of Barbara, you know, to refer to Night of the Living Dead. She's the one that's like, I don't understand what's going on. Ah." And that's it. And those are, you know, you have you have other women characters, but they're very, very minor. And that's kind of a bummer. Yep. 
because my inclination is to be like we should cut two of them and i'm like wow we should cut two of the women leads you could like they're that you could cut all of them yeah honestly yep absolutely disposable yeah like and that's that is truly a bummer to think like okay well what are we even doing then yeah like why are we even here yeah and though not as replaceable you probably could have put just any like B, C list actor in the Bill Murray and Adam Driver roles, Mm -hmm. and they probably would have given it just as much of a go. Like, it does not seem like this movie, although I think all movies deserve a great deal of respect because there's a lot of work that goes into them, I do not think that this movie required, like, a whole lot of acting range and, like, real deep introspection. And that is my uneducated and uninformed opinion on that, but I just don't see the work and the talent that I know that they're both capable of in this movie. Yeah. It's like for a film that is supposed to be horror, there were so many just like missed opportunities. Like if you're going to be if you're going to be somebody who's making like a director who's making their first horror film, It's like there were so many opportunities to sort of call the genre in with Mm -hmm. you and, like, call the fans in and just be like, hey, like, this is our thing. Like, why not make one of the cameos, like, a celebrated horror actor, you know, Or, or a celebrated, even just a celebrated player you know like i'm thinking about we just saw a movie with linnea quickly in it Uh uh-huh you know like why not have somebody like her you know even as just like one of the waitresses something that would make horror fans go like oh hey like they knew what they were doing cool you know there's somebody that's celebrated in the genre it's interesting and again like i don't want to make assumptions on the part of a director i you know like i can say more assuredly because he's talked about his love for the genre like what jordan peele thinks about horror because Mm -hmm. he's been very very vocal about it you know there's a lot of writing there i don't know what jim jarmusch thinks about horror and i'm not saying like Everybody has to be as big a fan as, like, you or I because that's a dangerous gatekeeper road to go down. Sure. But it almost, like, I'm, it's like I wonder watching this movie. I'm like, do you do you like horror? Yeah. Like, yeah. I, you know? I saw where you were going with that, and I was like, no, you're totally right. Like, it does feel like maybe he was, like, pandering a little bit or being maybe. like, oh, well, you guys like zombies. So, yeah, here's some zombies. Yeah. And like, mad respect to any director who's like, hey, I've never made a horror film and I want to make a horror film because they're cool and I want to try it. and I want to see what I can contribute to the genre. Yeah. But this felt to me and I had a couple of other people that we originally saw it with say this about this movie. It felt almost insulting to horror fans. Yes. And I, that's, that tends not to be my initial reaction to any movie, as I don't instantly jump to the like, oh, they're trying to insult me thing. Mm -hmm. But I can see how that opinion could be gleaned from watching this. Absolutely. Definitely. One thing I will say that I did like from the movie is I did like the zombie design. Yeah. I thought the makeup was well done. I agree. I like the score, too, like, beyond just the uh, Sturgill Simpson stuff, like, the actual, like, score score, not just that song. I like that song, but... Did you know that Sturgill Simpson did that song? (laughs) Yeah, I like like that song, maybe not that many times in a row, (laughs) but the score itself um, was really good. Yeah, 
Yeah, the music cues were good, too. Mm -hmm. Um, Technically, the movie was good. Like, the shots were fine. Yeah. Um, But I, I also didn't notice them. Like, in a movie where I'm like, yes, the direction is very good. The DP was very, very good. I noticed that. But also, like, I just didn't notice anything that was wrong with it while I was watching the movie. So, to end at least what I think about this movie... So I'm not going to say that in every single zombie movie there should be a a hero that doesn't die. Because that's that's silly. Yeah. There are lots of zombie movies where everybody dies. Mm -hmm. There's no survivors. Um, But typically you have, like, your ultimate person, you know? And you're made to believe that, or you're you're kind of led to believe that uh, our heroes are going to be Bill Murray and Adam Driver. And they're not. It ends up being the the crazy guy in the woods, but played by Tom Waits, which is fine. I'm totally down with that. Yeah. That's okay. But there are so many instances where Bill Murray and Adam Driver could have just gotten out of the like zombie crash. Yeah. And it didn't real. I didn't really understand the purpose of them staying, considering everybody in the town was a zombie at that point, except for Crazy Tom or whatever his name was in the woods. Yeah. So ultimately. Not only was the movie disappointing in that the story was not good and the acting was not good, the finale was not satisfying either. Yeah. So, like, our conflict, muddy at best. Our resolution, unsatisfying. Our character development goes nowhere. So, I have a really hard time even finding something like small to to give this movie a pat on the back about. Yeah, I mean there wasn't that like if they were going to stay I didn't feel that emotional investment of like the last stand. Yes. Like we know we're doomed but we're going to try to rid the world of as many zombies as possible and you know you feel something in that moment and yes. I did not. No. I felt feel. like thank goodness this is done. Yeah, exactly. Because I won't have to hear Sergio Simpson again. Yeah. Because the, you hear it again for the closing credits. It's like, oh, my God, we know the joke now. We're yeah. all in on it. The song, the dead don't die. We know. Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah. I'm very tired after the end of this movie. It Honestly, I feel like it is so boring. Yeah. It has got to be the most boring zombie movie ever made. And I've seen so many. Yeah. I was really, really hoping that it was the case of just like, ah, just the first watch was not the watch for me. Like, oh, I'm going to either love it or if I don't love it, I'll find some nugget that makes me like want to watch it again. Like, you know, the second watch, I'll find some redeeming things that have me curious. Mm -hmm. Like even Possession, I'm like... It's going to be a long time before I, I want to watch that again. But I do want to watch it again at some point. Yeah. You know, having seen it and kind of look for some things and, you know, reflect on some things and that whole, like, you know, knowing the endings, watching the beginning yes. thing that I love to do. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I need to watch this ever again. No, I don't think so either. No. Nope. I, I definitely don't think so. I, I did hope... I did hope that I just went into the theater. The same thing happened with Midsummer. I was like, 
expecting one thing. I had seen Hereditary. I was expecting one thing. I went into the theater, didn't get what I was expecting. Right. So I was disappointed. And then when I went back and watched it again, totally open-minded, I was like, holy crap. Mm -hmm. There's so much to, you know, chew on in this movie. And this time I'm just like, no, no, there's no more to chew on. You chewed it up, you spit it out, and you should have just not picked it up again. Yeah. It's just... It's just not there for me. We would love to know, though, what you guys think of it. Yeah, I would love to hear from some folks what they think. Can you tell us what you like about it? Yeah. Because I think we both have a tendency to, like, want to know what is going on in other people's heads that Mm -hmm. we're missing out on. Definitely. Because just because a movie isn't for us doesn't necessarily mean that we think it's bad. In this case, though, I think we both think it's bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm i very curious to know, like, horror fans, non-horror fans. Like, that's the other thing I, I would like to know is, like, do horror fans, like, people that consider themselves, like, fans of the genre, like, did you like this movie? Or is this one that is more a horror film that more non, you know, people that don't traditionally consider themselves horror fans find more affinity with because that's something that's puzzling me i'm like was i set up to fail with this one by virtue of like yeah having too much context with the genre right like too much inside baseball like too far deep we can't pull ourselves out to like it so perhaps i mean Maybe. maybe if that's the case like definitely tell us because that would make me feel so much better. Yeah. I'd be like, okay, okay, okay. Oh, it's not for me. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Oh, thank cool. goodness. That's great. <laughs> All right. Wrap my, yeah. <laughs> like, wash my hands of that. Um, and I won't feel bad about it anymore. I mean, I really don't feel bad about my opinion, but yeah. So next time we are going to do a movie that we know we like. Yes. Finally. <laughs> that we're both really excited to rewatch. I've seen this one multiple times, but I haven't watched it in quite a few years. I've only seen it once. Ooh, exciting. Okay, great. So we're talking about It Follows from 2014. That will be next time. And we should add that we are nearing Virgo season. Yay! And we'll have we'll have some things for you yes. to celebrate Virgo season since we are both Virgos. Yes. So keep an ear to the pod and keep an eye to your feeds and our social media and uh, more coming as the planets shift, (laughs) as the world turns. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Attack of the Final Girls. Find us online at attackofthefinalgirls.com. We are Attack of the Final Girls on Instagram and TikTok and Final Girls Pod on Twitter. Our theme music is by House Ghost and is available on Rad Girlfriend Records. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting app so you don't miss an episode and rate and review on Apple Podcasts so more people can find the show. I'm Juliet. And I'm Teresa. Until next time, stay scary. Stay scary.